I'm definitely happy. I would use happy to describe myself, one of the adjectives I would describe myself. Glasses have both, for certain. I seek out happy every day. I think we have to find happy every day. I don't know if you're going to see this voice moment. I thought I was happy. Are, are you happy? I'm not happy at all. The question is, are you happy? I'm the happiest I've ever been happy? right now. P.S. Be the person who you'd want to meet. Because somebody needs you. Welcome to Are You Happy? The Happy Hour. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You Happy Podcast. Once again, we're going into the business world and diving into the business ocean to meet some amazing people in business. Today, we have Randy Matev, who is VP of Marketing and Corporate Strategy over at PrifCap. PrifCap is a video production company. Now, something really cool about Randy that we just found out is that if you ask someone about her, they're going to tell you that she's someone that goes out and does things. She learns, she lives in ways that very few people do, and we are so excited to have her here and learn a lot from her. So without further ado, I give you Randy Matev. Hi, Randy. How are you? I'm great, Vanessa. It's super nice to be here and great to meet you. You as well. You as well. I really enjoyed something that I saw on your LinkedIn profile. It had, I guess it was like more of like a description phrase, but where it talks about the adjectives of like being a creative thinker, being a corporate strategist and board member. And then it says listener. Why does it say listener? Um, Because I think that's one of my most important and valued strengths, something I value in myself. It always, it's great to have a two-way conversation, but it's even better to listen and listen and learn because then you get to absorb and understand the world around you, the people you're connecting with. I think we all get caught up in talking and talking and getting out as much as we possibly can, but I actually get more from listening and learning and absorbing. And I think in that way, I create deeper relationships and also a certain amount of trust. And when you're listening very intensely, which it sounds like you are, because <laughs> that's, that's definitely intense. How are you breaking that down and receiving that information? Well, it's about the direct communication. I learn by listening and hearing the tone, the intonation, the person sitting across me or now the person in Zoom meetings, less so from reading. But for me, it's the listening is how I get the deep understanding because you can hear what's happening. You can get a sense of the emotion behind all the words. And you mentioned Zoom meetings. So you spend a lot of time on Zoom. Do you spend as much time on Zoom as you did during like pandemic time? Or is it kind of now just like a a regular uh, happening for you? I think it's become more regular. I think everybody had Zoom burnout, right? And now we realize it also took up so much of our day because you're on Zoom meetings all of the time. So I think we've moved to a more normal cadence of meetings so that you can then be doing your job and executing on your day-to-day needs and responsibilities. So I'd say it's moved to a more regular cadence. And in the beginning, we went over what people say about you. Can you tell our audience the story behind that phrase and why it is that they say those things that they do? You don't realize who you are until other people describe you to though. <laughs> I've just been a person who goes out and does. I like to learn. I love meeting people. I love being engaged in people's lives. Someone said to me actually just yesterday, you have the most incredible network of friends around you and you are in touch with more people than I've ever known anyone to be. And being in touch with people, especially people that I care about from clients to family, extended family to friends from elementary school, all the way up to my last job. It's just important. It sort of feeds my soul. I don't know any other way to say it. And I'll know little details about all of their lives, even if they're a client. Know the detail if they just had a baby or their favorite type of food to eat. Nothing comes close to obviously my closest, closest, closest group of friends, but I'm still a tapestry of all those people I've come in touch with. And that sort of kind of led me to kind of move and travel and experience because it just has built up my tapestry bigger and brighter and more beautifully. That's very interesting. I've never heard it quite described as a tapestry, but I do like that. And that is very cool that you're able to retain those small things about all of these people that you meet. That is really impressive. I mean, not just because your memory skill, but it's it's just very moving. <laughs> it's moving to know that people that come across you, you truly see them, but then you carry a piece of them with you. And I think that's very magical. So That's a perfect way to say it. I carry a piece of them with me. Yeah. And, and I love that too. Meeting people here in this format and interviewing them, it's unlike anything else. You, you 
get to view these experiences firsthand and almost live them with the person telling you. And same can be said with Are You Happy and and all the interviews that we do all over the world. We have such a, a vast team of people all over that interview on a daily basis and the kind of stories that you come home with and you carry with after the interview and forever for that matter. It's it's incredibly enriching. And uh, we're so thankful for that. Yeah. And I think that's what drew me to to be interested to come on and, and be interviewed without a doubt. Yay. Well, we're excited. We're so excited that you're here. As you've probably seen on the show via social platform, we tend to ask people about happiness for yourself. Randy Matev, <laughs> are you happy? I am definitely happy. And I would describe happy as I would use happy to describe myself. One of the adjectives I would describe myself. Glasses have both for certain. And why would you say that you're happy? Well, two reasons. I seek out happy every day. I think we have to find happy every day. Doesn't mean I'm happy all day long. And I think we can also approach things and choose to be happy for the most part. You know, there are life changing tragedies that happen. I would never want to minimize anybody who doesn't feel happy for reasons. But I think there are ways we can move through those challenging times or my challenging times to say, I can get through this. I got to move ahead. But that the end result is I want to lead with optimism to find that happy every single day. So you said uh, choosing and what was the second thing you said? Choosing and choosing to be happy. And even when there are difficult times, approaching it with a positive attitude that there's an opportunity to learn here. The reason this is here is so that I can move through it, push through it or learn something from it, which will then help my growth or my development. Right. What I was referring to was that you said two specific words that were both very much rooted in action. And I don't recall what that exact. Oh, okay. I said was. I choose and I pro. Oh, well, I said glasses half full and I choose to be happy. And I think it was just, I approach. No, no, I can't remember, no, Vanessa. Do. I'm so um, sorry. Normally I remember these things and I would have typed it down, uh, but I was just encapsulated in what you're saying. Yeah. I was so, just living the moment. No, I don't remember what I said. Right. Sorry, <laughs> producer. I just, no, I'm kidding. So yeah, what I took from that. Was make that happy. Yeah. Maybe I make happy. Or is it Maybe choose so. and create, create. Okay. Yay. <laughs> so choosing and creating both words rooted in action. Where did that come from? Where did that come from for you? I'm the youngest of three. I'm the only girl and the youngest by a good amount. And whereas probably my older brothers were set on a very specific path with certain expectations, the guardrails were off for me. And from an early age, I started traveling. I was born overseas in Oslo. I traveled a ton with my parents for my dad's job. And to me, that was the most magical time of all, whether it was in Copenhagen or in Norway or in France or in Mexico, it was like every new place we went was a new world that was opened up to me. And so it just gave me that drive that excitement and and to see new things because the more you see, the more you open your brain and all those synapses and all that can just trigger happy from beautiful things just to look at a mountain or an ocean or a cool building to just the daily intake of a great cup of coffee or an incredible baguette. Those physical things can trigger happy. And so I make sure to find both physical, tangible, but also also a little bit more like ethereal. And so the travels growing up and being able to go with your family and see all of these wonderful things, things you knew and things you didn't know. Do you feel that that shaped your perspective and it allowed it to become something that was even more broad because of all of this travel and everything that you were taking in? Did it have an, a very profound effect on that? It made me want to learn languages, which I did. It encouraged me to study abroad, which I did. I studied abroad in Paris many decades ago. I then continued and lived in Paris after that and worked for the American Embassy in Paris. I was in the Peace Corps then for a couple of years, a few years later in Bulgaria. So then I learned Bulgarian, came back and lived in New York City because I needed the stimulation of a big city. So languages to me are just the most fascinating. If, if I could have one wish, honestly, there's a few things physically that would be nice, but one wish would be to be able to speak, I mean, I don't even know, 8, 10, 12 languages. So it'd be like a polyglot, right? That's what it is, I believe. I would love to call myself a polyglot. Well, I don't know. A polyglot, don't you need, isn't that three or more? And I guess if I speak French, English, and... Hey, you're already there. Uh, I don't know. Three versus eight or 10. Well, you're a Randy glot. Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, All right. Fair enough. That's impressive knowing, knowing multiple languages, period. So give yourself credit for that. Being able to, being able to speak more than one language is, it's definitely a blessing to have. What is it about languages that you love so much? You know, the interesting thing is I was not very good in math and I am 
very adept and skilled at languages. And as I look back on it now, I think there's a ton of similarities between it's they're formulaic. Languages are very formulaic, but the words have associations with all of them. So when you become, when you sort of achieve fluency and you're no longer thinking or translating, right, from English to that language, those words themselves in that language have a specific visual imagery or icon. And so they can sound a word in English can have a certain image, but that word in Bulgarian can have a different image. So I think it's the connection of image and word and the sounds and people act and behave differently in different languages. Like people joke when I speak French, I sort of have a different personality or, you know, and, and I think people who are fluent who grew up in and are literally bilingual because they grew up in France or Italy and uh, were raised in that language. They When they just switch it on and go from English to French or Japanese to English, it is fascinating. I just think it's one of the most thrilling things to listen to. And like I said, if I could have 10, five more languages, I would. I think the magic of language is phenomenal. Words, words are so powerful in any language. That's very true. Very, very true. I'm just listening and thinking of of all these languages and how the brain works and how you the switch. Yeah, that's incredible. Can you tell me more about the French attitude <laughs> and, and what that is for you? I'm just so curious on that. You know, I've never thought about it until you're asking me these questions, quite honestly. But I don't know. It brings out the way it's so sing-songy and the way like like your voice, like you can walk into a bakery or a French cafe and say, I would love a coffee. Or you can say, je voudrais un café. And I don't know, there's like more of a sing-song. There's like the attack connection to that cafe. And when you say it in French, it just feels more connected. Or you're in France. I just feel more connected. Whereas I wouldn't walk into a French cafe here in the U.S. and say, you know, say it in French. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel natural. <laughs> So I think it's, you know what it is? It's for me, it is adapting to the environment that I'm in and every country and every culture is so different if I were really to think about it. So by speaking French in France, I'm adapting to that culture. By speaking Bulgarian in Bulgaria, I'm adapting to that culture as opposed to just being the American who can speak that language. That makes total sense. I know someone who is very fluent in German and when they speak German... They have a different air about them. And it's so funny to watch. And I'm, it's like when someone talks in a British dialect, but they're not British, but they have this different air about them. And you're just, okay, <laughs> that's a power phenomenon of, in itself. Power of different languages. We all have associations too, right? Yeah. And, and it's, it's so expressive. French is so dramatic and expressive and Italian. All these wonderful languages that are that have so much passion. It's, it's just really incredible. So much passion, I know. And it all started way back when, <laughs> Right. You think yep. back to like earlier civilization era and then how it just evolved. That's that's crazy to think about. Crazy. And I kind of derailed because we went from like the. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You're fine. It's I love it when we derail like going on tangents. is my favorite. <laughs> I think it produces the best content, honestly. So we were talking about like the fact that you're happy, which is wonderful. And then things that make you happy. I'm not sure if we kind of leapt into that. I think we did. Maybe that's where we got languages from. Is there anything else that comes to mind when you think of happiness? Like what's currently making you happy or things that are noteworthy that have made you happy? I won't ignore the obvious that just being with my family and my children makes me very, very happy watching them grow, staring at them in disbelief that they're in high school, whereas I feel like I was just in high school. I think those are the obvious, I think, and they fill my soul. But sort of outside of that, which is in my bones and my marrow and all of that, is approaching each day like another, it's funny that this is happening now. I just talked to a um, a good friend of mine who's visiting Paris. She's back there. We met in Paris when we were in our early twenties and she's there now for the first time, probably. And she said, I'm looking up all the time. I'm looking up at the chimneys, at the rooftops, at the windows, just the way you always taught me to look up. We never, you know, whenever we were together, you always said, wait, stop, look up, appreciate the beauty all around you. And I think it's the same thing. I was just driving our road to come home and between meetings. And and I just said, look up because that mountain in front of you is gorgeous and it is gorgeous, but we can look down a lot. So what makes me happy is appreciating I'm a very here and now person. I don't often think about, which maybe is to my detriment, but <laughs> what do I need to be doing in 10 years? What do I need to be you know, doing in 20? I think about what do I want from this moment? This moment is here. This is all I know. This is all I have. So I need to make it special. Even if it's just going to the grocery store and making sure I pick exactly the right bread or the right cupcake or brownie or going to get the coffee where I know that that coffee is so delicious. That extra five minutes, that time to give me that 
happy, like I say, both physically, tangibly, and emotionally makes each day a little bit special. I like that you said to stop and look up. I think that's amazing. We don't do that enough. Definitely don't do that enough. And uh, especially if you're traveling and you're seeing all of these amazing things in front of you, but you're not taking that time to stop and look up. That's very yeah. important for sure. So thank you for sharing that. I think <laughs> sometimes uh, during our episodes, I kind of brainstorm like, oh, what should this episode be called? And I think that for this particular episode, uh, maybe it'll be uh, wait, stop and look up. <laughs> like it. It's very I like pertinent. it. Yeah, it's definitely you for sure. And I can certainly see where, where people are uh, very impressed with all of the life that you've lived and then your experience and, and what exudes from you. So totally understanding now as to what they said about about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. If you could share a message with the world, any message at all, what would that message be? That message would be all we have is today. We can't change the past. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. So we have to enjoy the moment we're in currently and whatever that means to you. But just make sure you appreciate or you enjoy or you stop and you you smile and look around and, and appreciate whatever you have right now in this moment. When it comes to those moments for you, is there a certain one that you're thinking of when you're saying this message? No. Well, you know, and at my age at this point, I've definitely experienced tragedy or know people very close to me who have experienced deep, deep tragedy and deep loss and made choices that maybe I wish I hadn't made, but tried to make the best out of those, you know, work professionally, personally, otherwise. But again, I can't change what's been done. And we don't know, especially in the current climate, like what tomorrow is going to bring. We're inundated with a lot of negativity. So it's more of an overall sense of let's just make the best of what we can right now in my work, the job I currently have, feeling proud of the work I do feeling proud of the time just sitting at my at the dinner table with my family. That's what I know for right now. And so I, I need to ask, I may have asked it already and I hope I did not, but I just I just feel like I need to ask where it is that you got that from as far as deciding that you're going to be positive and have that outlook and not stay still, all of, all of that, but really more so like the the positivity and and seeing things that are good. Is that something that was always there for you? Like since, since a young age? I'll actually share a little secret with you, secret on air. <laughs> it actually has been now that I think about it, that I'm not a deeply religious person. I don't pray or go to synagogue. I'm Jewish. Often I consider myself just culturally aware and evolved. But ever since I was little, I gave thanks for the day. I gave thanks for the day and the ability to wake up and the hope that I'll wake up the next day and just appreciation that for all the good things that I have. And nobody taught me that. But it's it's all life has always felt like a gift for certain. That is very nice. So it's been ingrained in you from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I love that. And it's still here, clearly. So, yay. Still here. Yay, you. I may have, I may have a little bit of a, an angry wake up bedside manner on occasion. When nobody's getting out of bed and everybody needs to be somewhere <laughs> at a certain time. <laughs> so so with that, everyone can can tell you're a mama. You're a mama. <laughs> tell us about your family. How many kids are there? There's a husband in there. What's what's the family dynamic like? I am the only female in a home of a husband, two sons, and a male French bulldog. I couldn't even pick a female French bulldog. And we are convinced, or I am convinced, that I could have had 10 more kids and they would have all been boys for whatever reason. I think I was destined to be a mama boys. They're in high school. They also are on their own path. I see my, a little bit of myself in both of them, different sides. They're active. They're funny. They're, they have a lot of respect. They're good humans, as is my husband. I think there's a certain energy and dynamic where we're sort of the, the family where everybody comes and hangs out. We're the family that makes sure everybody's well fed. <laughs> Don't want anyone hungry at our home. Mm -hmm. um, everyone, you know, kind of likes to be at this house. And I think that's the dynamic we give off. But yeah, it'll be it'll like every mom, they will go off to college, right? God willing, <laughs> one day <laughs> it will be sad and hard. But it's yeah, there's, you know, they're just my pride and joy. And I have a wonderful husband who is equally as involved. I happen to have married a husband who is a doer. That's awesome. And your kids- Way better cook than I am. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't set the bar very high, but- <laughs> Like now, now by, by good, are you, are you talking like, um, I don't know, like like crazy recipe, like 
all kinds of cuisine good? Or are we talking like um, outside of like the normal, typical house range of, of, of food preparation? Like how, how good are we talking here? So I don't know if you remember, you heard me say that I was in the Peace Corps a few decades ago. And I had something come home with me from the Peace Corps, which is a Bulgarian, as in Peace Corps in Bulgaria. So my husband's Bulgarian. <laughs> I met him there in his hometown. And he has learned the ways of his home cooking because he loved his mom's cooking. She's a phenomenal cook. And he, you know, now the beauty of technology in the early years when we were together, they would be on FaceTime or whatever they're on forever. And she would teach him what to do from soups and stews and stuffed peppers and meatballs. Oh uh, and so he is a fantastic, fantastic cook. And then of course, now he cooks everything, you know, he's just adept in the kitchen, whereas I'm really good at cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> well, cleaning itself is an art form. I mean, look at it. Was it Maria? Is it Kondu? Is that her name? The one that like organizes everything? Oh, yes, like yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Exactly. She's, you know, she's gotten famous writing books about it. <laughs> right. It's, a, it's an art form too. But yeah, that's, that's amazing that he can do that. And then like for your kids, are they like super into sports or, or what, what are their kind of hobbies? They're very into sports, you know, out in California, it's sort of hard not to be into sports because you can do it all year round, but yep. Soccer, tennis, track, basketball, all sorts of fun skiing. That's, that's our family sport that we do together. It's the one thing that's really enjoyable. So, and yeah, they're, like I said, they speak Bulgarian too. They're very fortunate because they were born in New York City. They go to Bulgaria every other summer. They go visit my parents here. So they've got a really interesting mix of cultural diversity. Uh, I guess like the, the worldview that you have is unlike anything else versus growing up in one place, right? For sure. For sure. And you've got multiple religions, right? My husband grew up his family under communism. So it was sort of Eastern Orthodox, but yet not very religious. I grew up Jewish. We meld all of that together so they get kind of exposed to everything and, and get a lot of holidays <laughs> because of it. Is, is your last name, is that is that pronounced Mitev or is that pronounced differently? Mitev, Mitev. But everybody says Mitev. It's funny. I almost it's I almost no longer notice it, but it's Mitev. My husband, <laughs> my husband's first name is Martin, which is very funny because a lot of Bulgarian names you can't pronounce easily in the US, like Bojidar. Um, Svetislav or Stanislav. And, and so they end up changing their name when they come to the States, like Bojidar to Bob or Stanislav to Stan. So Martin got lucky because Martin. He was actually Martin? Like he was. He was actually Martin. Wow. Yep. That is lucky. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, they sound really awesome. And I think that it's like so cool that you did all these things. Like, I, yeah, I did hear the Peace Corps. I definitely wanted to remark on that. And I'm like, is that before or after you were like a ninja <laughs> in this country? Because you've done so many things that I'm not surprised that you would have like this like crazy portfolio of experience like you were a secret agent i know it i know it so don't, don't tell anybody um <laughs> oh no i blew the cover i'm so sorry okay guys she was a bus bus depot um, i did know it so i did the peace corps actually after paris and um it's something i'd wanted to do since i was young it was jfk announced it i wasn't born yet but in ann arbor michigan on the steps of the grad school in the university of michigan for that when he announced started the peace corps so it was just always something that i had thought i would do or dreamed of doing and it just came at the right time i'd been living in new york city for a couple of years working in fashion and photography and producing photo shoots and i liked it but it wasn't like i was no longer stimulated i'd kind of learned a lot. And I was, my day to day was filled with finding the best hairstylist or makeup artist or photo studio in it. And I wasn't attached, lived in a small apartment. It was a time I could go. Right. And so I just hold myself up in my apartment where I was living with a very close friend and spent the time to get that um, application done. You know, like all applications, it takes time. And within six months, I was boarding a plane to DC where we trained for a couple of days with a group of 40 other Peace Corps volunteers. And then they ship us off to Bulgaria to do cross-cultural language training for a few months. And after those three months, they say, here's your place you're going to be living for the next two years. And they draw a big map. And the night before our announcements, which is a little bit, it's scary because you're about to go off on your own in a foreign country where the language is not easy and you know not a soul and you're going to go live there and do a job. I was going to be an English teacher. And so they took me aside, the director of the program the night before and said, we just want to let you know that where your location, your post is Silistra. And they showed me on a map where Silistra was. And it's like, <laughs> it's the northeast corner. And the closest other site was a couple hours away. 
and they hadn't had a Peace Corps volunteer in, in years because they'd had one there five years ago when the program opened and it didn't do, do so well, but they'd renegotiated with the municipality there. And they said, you know, we just want to let you know we've chosen you because we think you'll be, your language abilities are strong, you're socially adaptable. And, and I looked at it and I was like, all right, I feel pretty good about this. And, you know, in hindsight, it's crazy. I was far, I was 12 hours on an overnight train from the Capitol. I didn't see as many people as others. And, but that's where I met my husband. And somehow, at that moment, when they showed it to me, I was like, yep, that's where I'm meant to be. So off I went the next two days later after they gave everybody everybody their um, site announcements and lived there for two years. And that's not to say it was not easy. It was very challenging, but it was it was an amazing experience. It sounds amazing. When it comes to like the challenging times, what got you through the challenging times? That's probably the first time in my life where I thought, wow, this is hard. This is dark. I feel lonely. It was a few years post the fall the end of the Cold War, fall of the wall. Bulgaria basically was very poor. There was not even barely restaurants to go to. The classrooms that I taught in were very, there were no supplies or were not enough textbooks for everybody. So my day-to-day, as I said, I'm a very visual person and looking up in the beauty, very hard for me to find beauty visually because you had communist block buildings everywhere. The people's faces were very downtrodden. They were just run down. I mean, this was Eastern Europe in mid-90s. It was very tough. So I struggled. I wrote endless letters to my friends. I kept endless journals. I engaged a lot with my students because I found that my students had the most optimistic view of life because at that time, even people, my colleagues in their 20s, they were feeling just depleted and their outlooks weren't as optimistic, which mine had always been. So I found solace and connection with my students who were from eighth to 12th grade, who really kind of lifted me up and I could impact them because their desire to learn English, especially American English and culture was so immense that they couldn't stop. They All they wanted to do was talk to me and learn and they just absorbed everything. So they really are what kept me grounded and optimistic and happy most of the time. And I'm also back then, I was a very big runner. So I would go run for a long time out into the hills, up into the foothills and discover little villages and be out on the road without anybody around. And that kind of mentally helped keep me going. But it was it was a very challenging two years, especially in the winter. <laughs> but it sounds like you made some really significant impacts on on their life, for sure, in so many ways. I'm curious about like your teaching style what that was like, because you're a visual person and you work in visual production now, which we'll touch on shortly. But how, I guess, did you incorporate a lot of visual process in your teaching there or was it more textbook? Like what was your teaching style? So I'd never taught a single day in my life. I did not have a teaching certificate. The only reason I was even allowed through the Peace Corps and through the Bulgarian education ministry or however you want to call it is because I have a master's in a foreign language, which gave me the ability to understand and educate, teach a language. So talk about frightened beyond belief the day before I was supposed to go into my first day of class of teaching because I I don't even know what that's like, right? I looked at these textbooks and I'm like, how does one teach? Like, how do you teach? (laughs) So to be totally honest, I really just was total winging it. I used the textbook. I mean, there wasn't much, there was no technology that I had access to, but yeah, I brought in a lot of visual tools. I did a lot of dialogue. I did a lot of role play. I had them create, I did get um, books sent over like To Kill a Mockingbird, some of my favorite books that we could learn from, but much of it was just engaging informally so they could learn and they could listen, they could understand the accent, they could learn new words, talk about dialogue, take them out of the classroom, take them up to the orphanages to so it was a much, it was not a very standard by the book <laughs> educational process for them. Yeah. And that's okay. In fact, that's probably what made it successful. Sometimes the most non-standard or non-traditional way of teaching is the best. So it sounds like it was an awesome class. <laughs> it was. Oh, God, I was so in love with these kids. They were just wonderful and their curiosity, right? And their zest for life and their intelligence. It's a very intelligent country. Do you ever think about where they are now? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm in touch with a lot of them. And, you know, technology today, social media allows me. I'm like, wait, you were just 13. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> that kills me. I'm thinking like you couldn't exactly Google how to be a teacher. How does one teach? Because you didn't have Google. So <laughs> no, you had to do it by your own, your own wits. And uh, yes. yeah, 
It, yeah, yeah. It's, you were successful, clearly. So that's amazing. And it gave me a, a heck of amount of respect for teachers because that is not a profession you can turn off. And your weekends are grading and your papers and your tests and all of that. So it is not something you leave at the office, if you will. For sure. And we're always learning, right? We are students of life. So yeah. as long as we're living, we should still be learning, I think. That's so, right. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. That was all really wonderful to hear. And I'm sure our listeners are like, yes, this woman, guys, this woman, <laughs> dang, she's cool. So let's talk about PrivCap. PrivCap, okay? So PrivCap is video production. How did that come about for you? And what what's your role like in there as a VP of marketing? Most people will hear that and say, that is darn impressive, but what do you do? Like, what is PrivCap and what do you do at PrivCap? So in, you know, one of my various nine lives, well, no, hopefully I have a few more to live, but PrivCap is a video production creative communications agency. It's based in New York, Brooklyn. We cater toward sort of high-end business communications. So a lot of private equity, venture capital, a lot of financial services. When you have important information that you need to relay to the investor community, to your employees, to your partners, we put that information together in, in a video format, right? So like if you're doing a fundraising video, or you're doing a training series for your onboarding, if you're doing a product pitch or an explainer video, we have sort of deep subject matter expertise and both the technical and the creative team from graphic designers to motion graphic artists to script writers all in-house. So we're not creating videos for business to consumers or creating videos for business to business to help them engage their audience better. So I have been, as I said, in the kind of creative industry as well, in a million different things. But I started really diving into my career in New York City when I ran a photo agency and a photo studio in Manhattan, downtown Manhattan. And we catered there to fashion, beauty, J. Cruz, Neiman Marcus, 17 Magazine, all across the board. We are studios for hire. We also represented photographers. We provided all the digital equipment, the retouching, the production, the whole bit. And we were like a team of 50. And I ran that company and we sort of grew it together. And it was my most favorite job on the planet. 12 years there, hardworking. We were young in our 20s and our 30s and clients first. I mean, we did, you know, whatever it took within reason, right? <laughs> Legally to keep our clients happy and to make everybody there internally and externally feel they were part of the Shoot Digital family. That was the name of the company. And we were doing this at the onset of the digital age when like film was going away. And I could go on and on about how we watched mm -hmm. film disappear. And, and we were sort of ahead of the game because we, we were slightly predicting that digital photography would be the next thing. And it really was. So it was that collaboration of the technical and the creative that really I just loved. And it was a small startup and we could see the fruits of our labor and all be a part of that success. So from there, I went on to various different things, both creatively producing photo shoots and then going to the marketing side and was a director of photo and video at Ann Taylor and Loft. And then eventually I was recruited kind of across country to back country and eventually out to Santa Barbara where I helped branding and rebranding a, a technology company. So it's all of those experiences from technology and fashion, beauty, uh, retail, small startup, gigantic. I was at IBM for a period, billion dollar businesses. What brought me back to PrivCap is it is the most similar to that first company I talked to you about, the roughly 30, 40, 50 people working hard, working together, nimble, not endless resources, but working together to grow a business that is made up of insanely talented, creative and technical and forward thinking people. And I really believe that as a video production and creative communications agency, our differentiation is in that combination, that mix of subject matter expertise around business and finance, the creative muscle and the the physical, the sorry, the technical know-how, right? To light, to produce, to travel all over the globe and host live stream remote virtual events. So I think we're just, it's brought me back to the job that I loved most when I was in my uh, in my 20s and 30s. So I run marketing. So what do I do for them? I run marketing and corporate strategy. So I market them, right? They did not really have a marketing strategy. So I built out a marketing strategy for them across social platforms on the website, thought leadership and our blogs and newsletters and creating new audiences and helping them grow into new verticals and, and new services and, and building them as they They've gotten to a certain level through COVID because video has become the demand for video for every business is endless. So helping them leverage the demand out there and build their brand, 
build brand awareness, grow their audience and grow their the industries in which they work. Definitely. Yeah. Video is now it, it's like what you said about photography and digital photography, right? And how that just blew up. And same thing is happening with video now, where now it's the forefront of, of everything with the social platforms, how people interpret information and how they're now receiving information. So it's it's like another here we go again. <laughs> And let's see what Here happens. Yeah. And I'm not the only one who knows that or thinks that, but the way we absorb today is through video. I mean, it's just, yeah. what did they say? It's like worth one point. I read some stat that I've used on social media. It's like, it's worth 1.8 million words, you mm. know? Wow. I, I have not heard that, but I do now and I love it. I think that's great. <laughs> and I do remember like just the transition from when film went away and thinking it's un- it's so real. I, I would have never thought that could happen. And then it did. And you're like, hmm. It did. And it impacted everything about the business. Oh, definitely. And there's still some companies who use it, which is great. But it's really crazy to, to, to think about that. But we are moving forward. And it's there's so many new changes every day. Lots of really oh great, great things that came out of it. Right. I mean, we couldn't have what we have now if, if we didn't put it down. So No, I remember, I don't know, decades ago, someone said to me, I'm like, I don't know, I was worried as a young person about certain technological advancements or certain advancements. And like, well, you can't pick and choose what you're going to advance on, right? Like if we didn't invent the wheel, (laughs) right? So it's like, it just, there's forward forward movement and momentum and you can't choose what goes forward and what stays back. Now, kind of going back uh, when you were talking about this business that you had built with these people in Manhattan, what was that like to build something, have this vision, see it be achieved and then just really flourish? Like, what was that like for you? I mean, it truly, I know now they we have to shy away from, I live to work <laughs> and we really focus on, I work to live, but it was so special. I manage this team of, I don't remember where we're at our peak, but what I enjoy most about managing is leveraging the strengths of everybody, knowing people's weaknesses, not using those, and then finding out their strengths. So when you do that in a team of people, I mean, you can move mountains and everybody feels good because they're doing what they do best. So we just all work together with our strengths we loved our clients. We stayed after work to hang out. Even like you might not have been the cleaning person, but you would help the equipment room, put all the equipment away, check back in because we'd have location shoots. It really, it felt like a family. I don't know any other way. And it was supportive when we hung out outside of work and we had great retreats. It was run by a really, really special man who gave all of us that kind of leeway to do what we needed to do to, to grow the business. And so it just was a fantastic feeling. And you can't, we, you can't recapture it. I don't know that you could ever recapture what that was. It was also a very specific time in our lives. Very few of us had kids. I gave birth to my children there, but that was at the end of it. So the ability to stay till 9, 10, 11 at night, if need be, no problem. Yes. But fun. You weren't, nobody was bitter because they had to stay late. When you're working together as a team and collaborating or no one's feeling like, well, they're doing more, they're doing more. It was just a really unique one of a kind and and our un- deep understanding of the clients and the clients needs. And they loved being there, loved being in our studios and from the barista and the coffee bar who knew ex- exactly the right kind of cappuccino to make or special things we put in the refrigerator for the Eileen Fisher crew when they came to shoot. It was all the details. I love that culture that they had uh, within that time frame that you described. Our uh, production company for Happy Productions, which also brought out Are You Happy? They have a very, very similar mindset. And it's so amazing to see all of these really, really talented people come together because they love what they do and they work extra hours. And sometimes we come together at night or weekends just because we're in love with what we do and and we want to help the client or do the best visual work that you possibly can. And who doesn't love storytelling in a visual medium? Come on, right? But yes, I totally resonate with that and I love it so much. I really like that you had that boss that that was so open and what you said about encouraging people as opposed to picking out those weaknesses and really building on their strengths. That's uh, that's really good. I think that's awesome. I'm going to steal that. I'm kidding. <laughs> Please do steal it. And you are so lucky to be working in a place that has that sort of energy and that vibe. It's really special. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So whenever we uh, kind of like go out and we're expanding our staff, we we get tons, tons of people who remark on that, on that kind of um, identity and how, how unique that that can be. And, and we're, we're so grateful for it definitely every day for sure. So my other question that I have for you is that when it comes to PrivCap, 
right? Uh, you talked about the technical aspect of it and how you have these really awesome subject matter experts, right? And then you have the other side, you have the people on the creative end who are making that happen and putting that all together, all of these amazing people, what it is that you guys do and how you, I guess, take the information and you purpose it however it is that your clients are needing it to be. Do you find that, it, I guess that there's like a responsibility as far as not only to the client, but then how you help them to, I guess, position their ideas when they go out into the world, whether it's like their company or maybe some kind of like public campaign. Like, w- what is your view on that for, for PrivCap? Without a doubt. I mean, everything we produce is something that we want them that's that accurately reflects who they are, right? Their value, their differentiation, their story. It's obviously incorporating their brand and everything. It's not the PrivCap brand or the PrivCap identity, but we want to bring that brand and that story to life, even if it's for a public, a private audience, right? A lot of what we do is very, it's under NDA, is for private equity firms or VCs, and it can't be shared publicly, but can be shared with their investors. But taking sort of day-to-day business communications and elevating it to storytelling, that's how I would describe PrivCap. So what might seem mundane, and I don't want to say that in a negative way, but not the most, let's say, drier communications, we want to make it sing. We want to elevate it to storytelling and make numbers, charts, graphs, graphs like pop off the screen and, mm. and link all the points. So there's a, a cohesive story to tell and not also burden it with too much information. We're very good at distilling and drilling it down to the most efficient. So the key points, the key takeaways, the idea, the identity is told through that visual medium, right? Would you say it takes a uh, village to do to achieve that it really does and even me thinking i was all creative and whatnot and you know i manage teams from photo and video where we're at today with motion graphics and voiceover and music and illustration and graphic design it does take a village and and most people and that's the other thing is you have to balance you can't expect your clients to know that it's not their job to know how you execute yours but it does take a village so you have to make sure that you consider all the steps and parts that are going to And even for me on the front end of kind of marketing sales, I need to have a good enough understanding of what's going to get entailed to execute that project before I overpromise or underdeliver. Right. Mm -hmm. And what has been, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. You're saying no, and it does take a village. (laughs) You're right. And you know, you would know for sure. Definitely. Definitely. It really does. And it's nice to know that you have all these village people (laughs) with all of their talents, the village people included. Yes. Uh, but, but yeah, all, all of the people in the village, man, you know, there's so much talent out there and there's so oh. many various perspectives. There's so many different ways to look at something. And it's just really great to come across people and to work with them it really is. I'm curious about what the future looks like for PrivCap and the type of work that you do in your industry or I guess in production industry. But uh, yeah, what does that look like for you guys? I always like to say if competition is increasing, that means demand's out there. So it's good to know that your industry is flourishing. Like I said, I mean, I'm sure there will be a new variation of video. And like with photography, I remember when Photoshop and all of those things came out, people said retouchers are going to be out of business and this and that. But real skill and real talent never goes out of business. You can have platforms and tools and apps to create videos. And there will be many companies that do it simply and economically in-house. And for the right purpose, that's 100% what they would do and should do. But for really quality high-end storytelling and, and visual videos and visual creation, you need people with the skills and the talent. And I think the demand for video is only going to increase. And not just that, because now we've gone from a world where we were virtual for quite some time. Now we're back in-person-ish, but now you need even more options. Mm. You can't just have an in-person option and you can't just have a virtual option. Everything's hybrid now. So a lot of what we do is hosting hybrid events because we can live stream it. We can record it for on-demand. I think also the need to differentiate yourself. Every industry needs to differentiate themselves because competition is growing. So what can tell that better than a video, an impactful high-end video? Even onboarding, think about recruiting right now. I mean, the competition for employees is insane. People are hopping because 
the job market is good right now. So incentivizing your staff to stay or bringing new talent in, you need a great onboarding program. You need videos and culture videos. We do a lot of culture and about us videos. People attach. So many people will look at a website, look at your social media platforms and look at what that culture is like before they decide if they're even going to accept the interview. So those are all done for the most part with video. So even if our priv cap, maybe certain aspects might stay the same or decrease in terms of need, or there's a client turnover, the demand across other industries and across other job functions that need video to execute will only increase, which is a good outlook. Definitely. And I'm kind of curious if, and you probably might agree, but during the time where everyone was at home, we're all stuck in Zoom (laughs) or WebEx. Oh, goodness. Google Meets, like we said. And and something that I saw that was interesting is that, yes, broadcasts were being done from home, right? News was being done from the home. But also you saw filmmakers who could not go out on location anymore, right? Couldn't do normal production. It was it was at their house, right? They were they were shooting some things. They were using very small crews. Even the role of what is it? A COVID compliance officer, which is now like a production role that didn't exist. And now they make crazy money (laughs) enforcing compliance. Crazy Crazy money. So there's that. But then I saw Netflix have a film festival from crazy, amazing filmmakers who had nowhere else to go because they couldn't go on location to Rome and all of these crazy exotic places. These really, really awesome filmmakers that made short films at home with whatever they had. And they really just went outside of the box and went nuts with it. And then they built a festival around it and had it on Netflix as a series for, for a while. I'm not sure if it's still there, but there are a I lot. I know what you're talking about, yep. Yeah, there's so, there's, it's almost, it's almost like a forced rebirth. I don't even know if that's phrased correctly, but it was, it was crazy to see like this whole new way of doing things in a very limited space. And I mean, it's expected, right, for creative people that when you're when you're left to your own devices and you're in this environment, you're going to do with what you have. But then what came of that? I think that kind of launched another here we go again, but it, it did it in a in a positive way. So there there are definitely some good things I think that came from that time too. For sure, for sure. But you're absolutely right. Like the sky was the limit before to a degree or whatever we, you think it's the limit until you try something new and then you're like, oh, that's the limit, right? But then you do the opposite. Now you've got enclosed in four walls and you create different limits, right? You you make things happen in ways that you never thought you would be able to because you're you're forced. You're in an enclosed structure. So I, I think, and now like what I was saying before, now it's kind of a combination of all of that, mm-hmm. right? You want to go back out, but yet you've learned these new tools and these new tricks and want to combine that too. And maybe you don't always have to go out on location because you found ways to add real creativity, real visual in a way that doesn't need to get you on a plane. Oh yeah, definitely. Now there are ways for editors to receive footage straight from a camera via Frame.io. Exactly. <laughs> That's insane. Exactly. You're editing in real time from the location. That's insane. So yep. so yeah, so much that that will come of mixing the two. So it's exciting to see what happens next. Hopefully, uh, hey, who knows? Maybe film will come back. <laughs> you know what? It's still, I'm sure most people that look at it, although maybe people had never seen film before, although, you know, it's it the look is still so great. The look of film. Yeah. Decades. Yeah. Nothing, can, there's nothing like it. That's so true. You can do all the uh, visual effects and filters that you want and plugins and it's not quite the same. Very true. Let me ask you this. One of my favorite questions to ask people is what is the one thing that you could not learn in school, but that you picked up during your professional path? Or not even the one thing. That's a lot of pressure. Just a thing. <laughs> what's what's something that you learned in your professional path that you could never learn that in a school setting? Well, I remember saying in my first job, when I had my first job as a producer at a photo agency in, in New York City, that you don't learn half of what you do in your job in school. That it's on-the-job training. So until you're in an environment, and I know education is changed quite a bit. You have marketing programs now. You are learning much more applicable skills, I think, and you're getting degrees that are much more applicable than when I was going to school. But I went when I went and I just felt like it didn't matter how much education I got. A master's in French, on-the-job training is on-the-job training. And I couldn't learn how to interact with a client or a producer for a photo shoot or a magazine editor or to multitask on sending out call sheets via fax (laughs) and making sure everyone was on set. Like there, it, it just, it's not 
teachable in school. So in a way, I almost say everything. <laughs> so experience, experience, experience. And school, when I was growing up, I sound like I'm ancient, I'm not that old, was education. It was learning. It was academic. Job is experience. A career is experience. And I don't know how you make education more experiential, but I think as long as you're prepared and you have relatively good head on your shoulders is once you get in the job, then you see where your real skills are. And so many of those skills are also transferable across job function and job industry and all of that. I think that's very true. I think, yeah, I, I love all of that. <laughs> Everything that you said is so very true. And, and it is interesting and it's easy to take for granted now the types of programs that are out there versus what you, you initially had, which is purely academic. But there is oh so much to be said for the experience. There's nothing like it, nothing. And that's the fun part too. You're like, oh my gosh, I have a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It'll put you in your place. But you know what? If they came up with like some crazy VR, maybe, right, <laughs> you know, what right, I mean? like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> which I'm sure they will. Oh, sure. It probably is already out thinking there. it. If you're thinking it, it'll happen. Right, 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 right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for Are You Happy podcast interview. Um, We'll hang back and talk about some other stuff regarding like production work. Uh, but for the podcast, this is the interview. And is there any final messages? Actually, hold up. I'm thinking um, social handles. Websites, PrivCap, you, whatever you want to share, please do so with our listeners. For work, www.privcap.com. I am not huge on social personally, so you can find me on LinkedIn. And other than that, I like to peruse Facebook to see what my dear friends and people are doing, but don't do so much my own. So and mostly okay. PrivCap, PrivCap.com, P-R-I-V-C-A-P.com. And I did connect with you on LinkedIn, so I'm going to wait for that that uh, connect. Oh, good. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so fun to uh, connect with everyone that we talk to and maybe we'll circle back and do a like a documentary on it and all the people that we met. That's a great idea. It'll be so much fun. Thank you so very much and have the best day. It's it's Wednesday, so have the best Wednesday of your life. Vanessa, you have the best Wednesday ever and thanks for making my day happier because it was fun to talk about all this stuff. Yay! Well, I'm so excited. Everyone, we will see you next week for another episode of Are You Happy Podcast. Are You Happy Hour and Are You Happy Hotline are brought to you by Are You Happy Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media such as Instagram and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Are You Happy, the docuseries can also be found on social media such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. See you guys next time for another wonderful episode of Are You Happy, the Happy Hour.